Hello, you're listening to Angel Nears the podcast. Angel Nears, what is it? It's a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Ole Kujikov, and our guest today is Debo Ray, someone who is building and scaling a startup right now. He's the co-founder and CEO of DevZero, a cloud-based development platform, making it easy for organizations of all sizes to configure, secure, and scale development environments to boost developer productivity. Uh, I'm excited to bring Devo on today to talk about applying what he learned. Devo worked at Uber for many years, I should mention this too. And I'm excited to talk to him about what he's doing to democratize what's been previously available only to the elite big tech companies with giant development environments and sort of custom setups. Devo, how did all that sound? And uh, welcome to the show. That sounds fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, Alec. Oh, good. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you. Tell us about you. How did you get started in software and technology? Yeah, so software, let's see. Uh, I moved to Seattle 2011 from India. I went to the University of Washington for college. And just based off of my upbringing in India, it was always very heavy in math and sciences. And computer science and engineering seemed like the next logical step in that puzzle. So that's how I essentially got into the world of tech, started building since when I was nine or 10 years old. And yeah, I deeply love software. Awesome. So you love software and you're living in Seattle. Uh, what, what, what better thing is there to be doing? Uh, do, you, do you still live in Seattle? I do. I do. I've been here for 12 years and I continue to love this city. Let's just start there. Tell us a little bit about, I don't know, your day-to-day and living in Seattle, just really quick. Yeah, so with Seattle, right, everyone says that it rains a lot over here. Um, They are mostly right. But the summer month is essentially what I continue to look forward to every year. It's like you never see any rains, or I shouldn't say never. Sometimes it does rain in during the summer, but it's uh, arguably one of the best cities to be in uh, in this time of the year. So we're going to get to establishing the market for, for Dev Zero, But before we get into that, just give us like a quick elevator pitch for your company. What is it about? Yeah, so essentially a lot of the lessons actually came from my time at Uber and just generally how the software landscape has been changing over the last five to 10 years. Ultimately, there is this concept of developer toil, right? Engineers join companies in order to do good work. We are there to help further the mission of the company. We fundamentally believe in it. But oftentimes, all of the tooling that we are given in order to do our day-to-day jobs, it's often subpar. And as a result, we can't really deliver to the levels we want to deliver at. With DevZero, what we want to do is give developers exactly the level of tooling that they need to be successful at delivering products for their company. That is a high level view of what just generally the space of cloud development environments is trying to achieve now. So giving developers, it sounds like like not too much, too early and and not too little. Access and tooling, because we are also spending a lot of time in just configuring our environments when instead we should just be building and doing things and performing things that are revenue generating for the companies we work at. That's what we aim to do. I couldn't agree with you more. So can you just talk about what it's like from your experience at Uber, like running a full-scale dev environment? Yeah, yeah. Um, So if you imagine Uber, like 
for most of us, Uber is just an app that we have on our phones, right? And I'll take the example of Uber Eats over here. Like when you click that order now button after picking certain items from a restaurant, tens of microservices are actually getting executed in the background. Like that button that you click on your phone app, it's actually calling some software running in a data center somewhere, which is running certain services or microservices that are then actually placing the order for you with the restaurant. This software runs normally in a cloud data center somewhere, uh, given by AWS, GCP, or Azure, or any of the other providers. But when I'm on my local computer, it's this Mac laptop that I have. This isn't really a production system. Even if I tried very hard, it would be close to impossible to get even that subsystem of Uber Eats to run on my local laptop. And this is true for most software companies nowadays. So at Uber, the problem is, yeah, they're just too big. The, the complexity of all of the systems, it's just too massive. And at the end of the production is never really this Mac operating system at all. Oftentimes, it's just containers or this Linux operating system that's running. So as engineers, we're having to do all of this work to make our local systems, um, try to make, uh, we try to make it look and feel like production. And often that is the losing battle. And so one of the challenges that we were going after at Uber, it was essentially three main value propositions, right? One was the performance of the laptop, because last I checked, you can't just download and add some RAM into your computer. Um, that is usually a fairly arduous process. And then there's the overall consistency issues, like every developer laptop for, uh, for better or for worse is different. So maintaining configurations across them gets very hard. And then the last bit is security, right? Uh, laptops at the end of the day, they're still fairly easy to lose. And it contains all of your company's source code, et cetera, and various access things on it. So we just wanted to centralize everything. We wanted to let engineers keep using the local tools that they love, their integrated development environments of the sort, et cetera. But we wanted to connect them to centralized cloud-managed resources that they could actively develop software within. That way, source code and all of the sensitive stuff never really touches the developer laptops. And yet, you have immense hardware capabilities over there, enabling engineers to do their jobs faster. Can you talk about source code? Because I can understand it as a concept. It's basically like the master code, right? And so it sounds like the developers open up their local machines and they work on this source code, but their local machines aren't quite what's going to be running the source code so that it requires all this like configuration and setup and it's like a huge headache. Did I get that right? Pretty much. Yeah. Source code is essentially a set of instructions that a human being would provide to a computer to make it perform certain tasks. And this is usually done in a variety of languages, right? Be it Python, Java, JavaScript, Golang, etc. And this thing ultimately it ends up getting compiled into these things called binaries, etc., that would then go and run inside um, a data center somewhere on a server. And the server, that is the final running environment that we ultimately want to operate in the context of, but our local computers are not that remote server fundamentally. So we try to bridge that gap for you. Got it. And that's kind of what you were hired to, to, to sort of do at Uber, correct? Yeah. When I joined Uber, we essentially had, a, uh, I think, a couple hundred engineers. And during the six years I was there, the company ended up scaling to about 4,300 engineers. And as a result, our internal infrastructure, that underwent a couple of pretty broad evolutions. And as part of that, as 
the, as the production infrastructure evolves, the developer environments and experiences also have to evolve because just adding more engineers to the team doesn't essentially ensure that you're always shipping more software. So that's the problem we're working on solving. And just to step back for the listeners, just talk about the experience of that and like what, you know, for the, for, yeah, for people looking from the outside in, like, what do you have to do to grow your team to that size? Yeah, I think very few people in the world actually have the experience of having lived through something like that. It was incredibly exciting. And I think a very, it was a great learning experience for me at the very least. Initially, when we joined, it was, okay, the business was performing in a certain way. The business was performing pretty well, actually. And at that point in time, keeping all our systems up and running while iterating on future products was one of the core areas of focus for all of us. And in order to continually build and ship good, reliable products, you need a pretty reliable backend infrastructure as well. And that infrastructure was one of the areas that Uber wanted to focus on at that point in time. And that's why all of us ended up working there. And like when you're adding a bunch of engineers every week, you usually don't know most of the other people, even on your very own team, because you're hiring at such a rapid pace. And everyone is essentially doing their own thing in order to get started and to start contributing to Uber source code. Right. Which has got to be hard because you're onboarding so much. So many people are onboarding at the same time. It's like got to be like a traffic jam almost. Yeah. Yeah. And we created this whole concept of an uh, engineering education or we called it an uh, education process to train engineers in their first couple of weeks and to actually get them set up with all of the relevant engineering access and tooling that they would need. And this is one part where we would often see a lot of these issues, which ultimately ended up manifesting itself as this one project called Dev Over that we undertook early 2020, which was essentially a lot. But the, the DevBot project serves as the major inspiration for DevZero. Actually. Talk about your main takeaway from the Uber experience. Let's start there. Late 2018, early 2019. At that point in time, most of the world was already pretty sold on this idea of microservices, which is normally we have a fairly large software system. Previous, this is what many companies end up calling a monolithic application. People want to put things up into smaller pieces because it ultimately lets engineering create up their own facilities. Microservices is one way to achieve that goal. And as you have more and more microservices in your company, it fundamentally now results in a larger or more complicated production system, which is now harder to replicate on my local computer. You start to roll out some infrastructure level changes, but because of the heterogeneity of all of these developer laptops, you're fundamentally causing some levels of degradation in developer productivity. We looked at companies like Facebook and Google, uh, formerly Facebook, I should say now Meta, and they had rolled out varying levels of developer tools to enable engineers to write software in somewhat production symmetric environments, what nowadays is called a cloud development environment. So we learned a few of the lessons from there, and then we started to think about what an implementation like this would look in Uber's context. After about a quarter or so of tinkering, we, realized we, we had a general idea about a path that we wanted to take, 
we saw a certain class of issues consistently come up in our internal developer surveys and that's how the develop the developer uh, experience team at uber we decided to undertake the devpa project and and that served as the foundation for dev zero how how did uh, how did you go from kind of like main takeaway to to starting a company yeah, so DevPod, we started, I'd say Q4 of 2019 is when the first bits of code started to get written. At that point, our main goal, we, uh, we weren't thinking about a company by uh, any means. The main goal was to enable future Uber engineers to onboard very fast and to have some of these consistent dev environments. So we kept working on it through 2020, 2021. And at a certain point in time during then is when we were starting to realize that various other companies of differing sizes were also starting to invest in similar tooling. Our thesis was simple. A lot of money is currently getting spent internally in these companies to build tooling of this sort. Can we create a company, a broader project to serve all of these uh, uh, software companies with a platform that will let them adopt cloud development environments? And that's how DevZero started. So you mentioned like other companies were trying to do this too. Can you talk about the costs associated with what this thing you're talking about is, which I guess is setting up a cloud development environment? Yeah, so Google has actually been uh, working on something like this for, I think, close to five or six years at this point. And um, Meta has been as well. At Uber, it ended up being, at the end of the day, close to a team of 10, 12 engineers that were working on it for, I guess, close to three years at this point in time to build a platform like this internally. This is generally what we see across the board at all companies that have implemented tooling of this sort. This is the lower end of the spectrum on how much of an engineering investment you need. And that usually ranges um, from a hard cost perspective. It's millions of dollars that get invested towards just implementing software like this. And then there are the associated hardware and cloud compute costs. So there's costs to run it. There's costs to pay the builders and the creators and the engineers are there any other costs these are the main ones that we see and it's no software in the world just gets written and just keeps running exactly the way you intend it to software maintenance is a real thing features and improvements are continually added so the costs never stop they only keep adding up so lots of costs. We've established that there is a need for this from your experience at Uber and seeing other companies spending lots of resources to get something like this. Talk about starting the company itself and uh, everything you've accomplished up, up until this point. Yeah, so the company essentially started early 2022. The first step for me was obviously convincing my co-founder, like whether this made sense or not. And we actually looked at it in a very, very simple perspective our thesis is most of the software and tools that we use today it already runs in the cloud most people don't have microsoft word on their local computer anymore we depend on either office 365 or google docs etc but the primary tools that developers use to write and run code though that has still not moved to the cloud and we essentially hypothesized that this is due to two large classes of issues. One is general internet-related stuff around latencies and potentially offline access. And the other is simply complexity. 
moving my local computer and all of my developer tools to the cloud could be very hard. And then getting all of the existing tools that I already use to work in this new network construct could be quite difficult. And we figured that we could take a stab at solving this problem. So that's how that video started. That's how it started. What have you built so far? Yeah, so we have a platform today that will let companies come in. You get to define your cloud development environments as the form of in the form of templates. And then every engineer just gets to come, click a button, get their own workspace in, for any of the uh, repositories or uh, systems or tools that they are working on. And this workspace, it happens to show up in about five seconds, which is kind of awesome. So it sets up, it, it kind of works out of the box is what it sounds like. Can you talk about that setup some more? Like, I guess, let's use our imaginations and say, I'm the person buying this. I, I, I guess I'm a CTO of some organization. I probably know a lot about DevOps and Kubernetes and serverless architecture. But, you know, I've decided that I'm, I'm bringing in DevZero to work on my, let's just say it's a, an Uber competitor or whatever, it doesn't matter, but uh, we're going to install this thing. I have a team of uh, 15 people. Uh, what is what is it? What does the next day look like for me who just bought this thing as the CTO? And then you, someone I'm hiring to, to work on my application. Yeah, usually as part of our commercial process, we spend a little bit of time with someone in the role of a CTO or a VP of engineering to better understand your existing tooling and systems. Once that is done, we actually um, we have a few solutions engineers on our team that will help you build out the first set of dev environments for your company. We also end up working with a couple of senior engineers on the team during this process. After that, for the other 15 engineers that you have on the team, all you have to do is just give them access to this console and they get to use keep using their existing IDs, just that now everything runs way faster. And all of their source code, all of their local configuration, etc., that's already been done for them. And when things don't work or you mess something up in your environment, you just click a button to get rid of it and get a brand new environment instead. Almost like creating a new Google Doc. And turns out you can actually share these environments exactly like a Google Doc too. I, it sounds like too good to be true. It sounds amazing. Because I know like configuration and setup and tooling is like such, such a big challenge. It's almost like the first big roadblock you, you get in, in programming. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing over here is a lot of companies with our DevOps engineers, we have actually invested a lot of time with infrastructure as code to configure our production environments. This is usually done using, uh, so you'd end up using things like Terraform, or if a company is using Kubernetes, you have Helm charts or scaffold or customize, etc. With DevZero, we actually try to reuse all of your existing configuration as code, or rather infrastructure as configuration. Why we do this is to fundamentally remove this problem of configuration drift. We reuse your existing config, to now help you build dev environments because developer environments are fundamentally a superset of what your production infrastructure is. It's everything that runs, runs in prod plus a few developer tools. So that's how we look at the space. Who is this product for? What's the right team for DevZero? Yeah, um, so normally software companies 
usually we find when a company crosses the 30 to 35 engineer mark is when some of the problems that we solve with dev zero start to appear at that point in time is a good uh, even if it's using dev zero or not that's a good time to be considering cloud development environments and what what is the unlock look like for the for those teams that start using it yeah so one of the main metrics that a that an engineering leader usually tracks is the time it's taking for a new feature or a new commit to actually land in production this we normally call the lead time to deploy or a mean time to deploy another one that's often being tracked these days it's the amount of time that's being wasted in shared tenancy environments and i'll go into the definition of that after but generally with a product like dev zero both of these metrics are impacted quite drastically you will see for example this is not going to be true for all companies across the board depending on um, the software practices already in play but an engineering team can expect to get 30 to 35% of their engineering hours back when using a tool like this are those like results that you've seen with with actual users yeah with a lot of our users now once all of these environments get uh, configured correctly just the way we can start to, see this is at the end of the day cloud compute allows you to treat computers as cattle and not pets that's the mentality uh, yes because you don't really want to be maintaining your google doc or your source code or your dev environment necessarily you don't want to give it constant love and care to make sure that your local laptop is starting to look and feel like production i guess the next question uh, is going to be about your team talk about building your team yeah how i view this is our experiences and the journey we have gone through it essentially shapes our character and who we are today and having people that have opposing or sometimes even divergent views helps you see helps you look at a problem from different perspectives because at the end of the day the field we are working in it's still pretty nascent as compared to everything else and if we don't have various views around the table how can we stand a shot at creating a good product did you learn that from some life lesson not really i think a lot of this came from again my time at uber and uh, quite a bit of it i'd say from my upbringing as well like my dad he used to he used to work for the united states government etc he's pretty focused on the middle east and he got exposed to a lot of these different cultures um as part of his career and i guess a lot of that ended up flowing into me through osmosis as well are you mostly hiring in seattle you're hiring right now right yeah so for us we have a large chunk of our team is in seattle we have an office in san francisco as well We also have, I think, three no four uh, remote teammates. So most of us are in the U.S., ranging from Hawaii to Tennessee. Right now, we have one teammate in Canada. But yeah, that's the composition today. How familiar are you with the software development lifecycle? What does that mean to you? A little familiar with this, yeah. So the software development lifecycle is essentially the overall journey as an engineer starts to. write software usually in the development stage of the sdlc and that's what the software development life cycle is also called then it usually flows into this bit now uh, where 
we have implemented a certain feature but we usually want to get a review from our team it's the code review process after this if everything looks good we have a stage called continuous integrations so the overall idea over here is we just wrote a bunch of new software let's run some tests to make sure things are still functioning as we intended to then comes continuous delivery often called continuous deployment as well that's the process with which uh, engineering teams ensure that software is constantly flowing into the production systems at a at a good uh, at a good rate between the uh, this stage essentially ends up impacting the production stage which is what is serving live traffic but often as a reliability measure many companies will put a staging environment or something of the sort between the two just to have another layer of checks and balances this in over the last i'd say four or five years has manifested into companies creating more and more of these shared tenancy environments ultimately with the goal of letting engineers have or rather increase their level of confidence with level of confidence your essentially means is this change that i'm proposing is this going to work in production the way i intended it to or not but now the problem with anything shit uh, tenancy is the fallacy of the commons once all of us start to re um, or use or reuse a shared resource no one really takes care of it as a result everyone spends time waiting in these shared tenancy environments because let's say you're working on uber eats right there might be a database of some sort and an api of some sort and then some other backend application and often what happens when engineers are testing in this shared tenancy environment is let's say i am rolling out an api change i'm probably not even touching a certain database component but suddenly i see an error that relates to the database but hey i wasn't even changing anything there so what's going on maybe someone else on the team was testing out a database change which is now impacting the change that i was trying to test out and this was the second component that i had mentioned before like this is another issue where engineering teams often end up wasting a lot of cycles in maintaining shared tenancy environments so yeah just our concept of these ephemeral cloud hosted environments solves that quite a bit yeah yeah so i i like the term you use like tragedy of the commons like cuz when i was like when i was researching dev zero what is it you know it kind of looked like um a plaza or you know a, a town square right somewhere people can kind of go to work together so can you talk about what you saw at uber like how bad was this tragedy of the commons and what kind of waste is it what does it look like what does it feel like yeah oftentimes at a certain point our engineering onboarding process was taking 2 plus weeks so an engineer joined the company and they essentially can't really contribute very much for 2 weeks this was great often times engineers would also just be sitting around waiting to merge their changes into production none of like these are just engineering hours being wasted right and at that point if i'm just waiting for a certain build to finish or for someone to let go of a shared tenancy environment so i can test i'm usually going on hacker news or twitter or reddit and by the time certain it's probably time for me to go to lunch so i go to lunch and i have technically lost my entire morning without doing anything let's talk about scaling your current company dev0 is working to provide a solution for this tragedy the commons we're talking about 
Yeah, most of our expenditures are always in the uh, primarily in the R and D side of the house in developing DevSeed further. We also have some expenditures in the sales and marketing on the general go to market side. Our overall uh, problem over here can be looked at in two different ways, right? It's a somewhat of an emerging market this um, space of cloud development mm-hmm. environments. So we are trying to make more and more companies and engineers aware of this problem mm-hmm. space. While we are doing it, we also make sure that our product is always at the forefront of what this space is going to be, which takes a lot of development effort. So these are our two main, I'd say uh, these are our two main and only areas of focus on the business. What are you building to stay ahead of the competition? Yeah, so for us, we obviously saw a lot of amazing tooling at Uber. A lot of our teammates are from companies like Facebook, Google, Twilio, etc., who all have incredible experience in building similar software at these companies. So we are trying to build, like, the first thing we have to understand is why a lot of that tooling was built in the first place, which we do. Then we have to find good ways of it, of incorporating all of those into the DevZero platform. So that is the bit we are focused on right now. We obviously, the other thing we have to deal with is customers, all of our customers, depending on however their technical stacks are organized, no company, no two companies have internal infrastructure that looks the same. So our platform has to be flexible enough to be able to onboard all of those customers. Then it also needs to be flexible enough to work across various cloud providers. And all of this is a lot of software that needs to get written. Right. It's all that configuration that the users of your product are basically skipping is like somebody has to do that. Absolutely. And then the other thing that uh, usually starts to manifest itself, like in all of these companies, engineers see issues like these right and we are usually pretty impatient so we try to find a solution ourselves and normally we all turn to the cloud and at that point in time we just spin up some resources in the cloud we'll try to configure them with the source code of the problems that we are trying to uh, solve just to unblock ourselves in the short term but normally and this is another thing we had seen at uber the cloud costs are not your friend like no engineer in the world will ever stop or delete cloud resources once they are done using it. We just usually forget. And now you're paying for a certain cloud resource for 24 hours. But last I checked, most engineers don't work for 24 hours a day. Uh, So why do we have to keep paying for that? So and those are certain tooling that we have to end up building um, at DevZero. Do you use DevZero to build DevZero? Yep, since April of last year. What's that like? Talk about it, because not every company can do that. Yeah, um, initially it was a lot of suffering. Things uh, we had a lot of rough edges. Nowadays, you um, you know what the surprising thing is? We actually onboarded um, an intern this Monday. It took say, about four or five minutes to get like get him all uh, set up with his dev environments. So that part, like a long time, this this, this felt really really solid. But just generally, F0 to build F0, it has its pros and cons, right? Because now we are having to also build integrations for certain cloud resources or cloud infrastructure that is not supported today using our platform. So that lends itself a, a couple of very, very interesting challenges. But we have also realized that our software is flexible enough to be able to handle it. So that's great. 
You know, you mentioned onboarding one of your interns and that feeling, you know, feeling great about it. I would call that like a milestone. Do you have any other milestones that maybe captured a similar feeling where you were just like, yeah, this, this idea, this, there's something. Yeah. I remember last year, one of our customers, they said that Dev Zero would be the sec, if they were running out of money, Dev Zero would be the second last thing they turn off at their companies, second only to Google. That was, that was good. I just want all of our customers to say that now. So let's move kind of to the closing section here, our, our pearls of wisdom, so to speak. Say everything goes according to plan. Startups start to use your product. They get more flexibility, access to scalable resources, right? The right resource at the right time. And they're able to amplify their, their development process. What does that mean for them as end users? And then what does it mean for the rest of us? Yeah, our um, sentiment at DevZero here is pretty simple, right? Like developers are the people that will help shape and build the future. Uh, and developer, not having good developer tooling or productivity is ultimately just stifling global innovation. What companies get when they use tooling like the one we, like the stuff we provide, you just ship product faster, you serve your customers faster and better. That's it. And you're spending more and more hours and minutes focused on the people that love and use your product. What better could there be? What's unique about DevZero? What what makes you stand out? Because uh, I, I imagine you have competition in this space, right? There's other people trying to do similar. Yeah, there's a little bit of competition in this space, but not exactly in the way we are trying to achieve our, or rather achieve a good solution to this problem. What's unique about DevZero is a lot of the lessons that we have learned across these companies. We have a good understanding of what works for engineering teams and what doesn't. And with all of the developer productivity related tooling or anything productivity related, it's like as soon as you start to use a tool, you don't start to see all the benefits on day one. Like a new productivity tool, thoughtfully applied, it will make developers more productive. But before we realize that benefit, there's this dynamic um, from economics of this J curve. Like there is usually an initial declining productivity before a lot of the tangible benefits can start to be realized. And like there are multiple reasons why the, this could be happening. One of those is just adjusting to a new tool is hard, or it could also be that software development is fundamentally an intangible product. And intangible goods are usually pretty difficult to measure the productivity of. So how do you try to... I'm just curious. Yeah, how do you... Do you try to measure developer productivity? To a certain extent, we like to focus on those two somewhat outcome-driven metrics around is the team or any of our customer teams, etc. Are they able to ship more on a per engineer per week basis? This, I think, is one of the core bits to focus on because fundamentally, even when you're building intangible goods, the outcomes that are derived from using those goods, that can still be tangible. So we try to get to the closest one in that. Everyone's talking about AI these days. How does AI and this AI transformation impact software development and engineering teams? Yeah, so we actually use a bunch of AI at uh, DevZero as well, both in building the product and we are also trying to figure out how things will look when AI is thoughtfully applied into this mix. 
in a couple of different ways right i think as already with things like chat gpt etc software is getting easier and easier to write because a large component of software development is me looking for familiar code patterns then adapting it to solve the problem that i have right now and then testing to make sure if the problem has truly been solved or not and at the very least the first part of this process has been made much uh, much easier i'll say there is also things like github copilot that make that makes this process quite easy then there's the aspect of being actually being able to adapt this familiar bit of code into my application there are products like github copilot that are uh, trying to do better at this but i think this field is still a couple of years out and then there's the bit around the engineer actually being able to see whether their problem has whether this newly written software whether it's truly achieving that the goal i had intended for it to i think longer term a lot of software development will probably be very heavy on the code review side rather than the code authoring side there's still going to be a lot of the larger more complex systems that might need a certain level of human intervention but just given the rate at which various companies are launching new ai assisted capabilities i wouldn't necessarily hold my breath on that that's really interesting so in terms of rate of change metaphorically do you think that more code is going to be written by these ai tools and and engineers are going to be doing more of the review than authoring what does that mean for the layperson does that change anything for us or are there just less jobs to go around do we have more applications now i have like five ubers on my phone like what's the where is this all this headed i think software will continue to get iterated on a much faster pace than it ever has you still have engineers to put all of these bits together and note one thing i've been talking a lot about just the application layer and the logic of being able to serve some of the or rather solve some of our problems today there's also the larger challenge of infrastructure and compute etc that is needed in order to essentially run these applications that is still an area where we will need certain level of engineering to be present but at the end of the day an engineer has more hours of their day back they can essentially use it to do creative things in other areas that they want to work on or just keep improving the product in various different ways i think that's a great thing i guess i have one more question here this used to be a popular topic and i haven't really asked it in a while but What's your approach right now at Dev0 to remote work versus working in the office and then where do you, where would you like to see it go? Yeah, the funny bit is we actually have a mix of both. We have a few remote people, but a lot of our team actually gets together 3 days of the week. And we normally find that sure a lot of engineering work is heads down coding but a lot of it is also collaborating with others especially in an early stage startup we just like to whiteboard most of the walls in our office have whiteboard paint on it so we just like getting and drawing on the walls sometimes and for what it's worth most of our team will actually get together every quarter we meet either in seattle or san francisco we'll spend the week together so yeah how big is your team right now 19 people All right, well that'll kind of be our show. Uh before we get out of here, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and learn more about Dev0? 
Yeah, so I've recently started writing on Substack. It's called Devo's Newsletter. Um, if you want to just follow some of my writing thoughts, etc., feel free to subscribe to the newsletter there. And for what it's worth, we are always launching a bunch of new features in DevZero uh, to solve a lot of these production environment uh, complexity replication challenges. Um, a lot of those releases will be coming out um, through through the whole year and i'm sure into next year as well so please uh, sign up on our website at devzero.io and that's d-e-v-c-e-r-o.io take devzero for a spin uh, and for, feel free to follow us on linkedin and on twitter sounds great check out debo's newsletter and sounds like a lot of interesting resources to follow that'll be our show for today if you enjoyed listening to us do subscribe and leave us a five angel rating Debo, thank you for joining the show. We appreciate your time and what you're building. Thank you so much for having me. Like it was fantastic.